start recording. We are rolling. Uh, and I'll get these intros started. Here we go. I've not done this podcast in, what, three years? Goodness. All right. Welcome back to the Fandom Handbook, the show that serves as the ultimate how-to guide for navigating convoluted film franchises or long-running television series and helping you figure out where best to start. I'm your host, Tony Pinella, and it's been a blip since I last did an episode, three years to be exact, and while much has changed in that time, there's one thing that remains the same. I'm still talking about Marvel. I know, I know, I have plenty of episodes ready to go that don't involve the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I happen to be swinging back into action right before the release of the new Spider-Man movie. So I figured I'd take the opportunity to explore all things related to Spider-Man in film. Whether you need a quick refresher course before the new release of Spider-Man No Way Home, or you have never had the experience of watching a kid from Queens in red tights web-sling through the streets of New York, this is the show for you. On today's episode, I have a roundtable discussion featuring my friends Dev Mina and Anthony Angargiola, where we first discuss how we originally found our love for Spider-Man, which of the Spider-Man is the best Spider-Man, or maybe a better question would be, which Spider-Man is the best Spider-Man for you? We go through Tobey Maguire's movies, Andrew Garfield's movies, Tom Holland's movies, and of course, the animated feature Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. At the end, we'll be doing the Starter Pack segment where we are challenged to pick only three of those eight movies we went through to create the perfect sample size for someone who was just wanting to get a sense of what Spider-Man has to offer. I'm ready to get the show started. Thank you for listening. It's good to be back. Let's get this roundtable started. All right, everybody, welcome back to our roundtable. I'm very excited to have two wonderful Spider-Man fans here with me. Uh, first off, you will recognize her from our previous episodes. I am joined by the wonderful Dev Mina. Dev, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm just counting down the days. We're about, uh, at this point, about two weeks out from the next release in the Spider-Man franchise. Oh, my goodness. Also joining us at the table, we have Anthony and Gargiola. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm happy to be here. Thank yeah. you for having me. Tell me, did you manage to get tickets for No Way Home? Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't know what, what was happening on AMC app. I'm not being paid by AMC, but if you're not mm. part of their Stubbs A-list, you should probably um, yep. do that because it's worth the money every penny. Oh, absolutely. I think all three of us here are, are AMC Stubbs members, and AMC, mm. if you would love to sponsor a podcast, <laughs> this is definitely, uh, I will definitely encourage a bunch of people to come see some movies, especially post-pandemic. But before uh, talking more about the future of this franchise, I think we should start at the very beginning. We're all here because we all love our favorite web slinger, uh, one Spider-Man. And I would just like real quick to get a little information on where y'all started with our favorite resident from Queens, other than Anthony, obviously. Who am I? You sure you want to know? Oh, yeah, I'd love yeah. to know. <laughs> that was a little reference for you. Thank you for laughing. Um, so 2002... Uh, little Anthony was um, going to his first communion and we had the whole family there, extended family and everything. 
And I was um, not like the other boys. I definitely took more to Barbies and Little Mermaid. And I was not interested in sports. I was not interested in trucks or Nerf guns. So it was a little bit unusual. And then, you know, if you look back and you see the person that I am today, you would say, okay, that probably makes a lot of sense. Now I live as a proud gay man. So in 2002, we were doing my communion and I got one particular gift from my uncle. So I opened the gift and uh, it was a Spider-Man action figure, super posable. Uh, of course, it was based on the um, Tobey Maguire movie uh, and it came with a little gargoyle. You could pose him on and hmm. I was like, well, I don't really want this because I'd rather have like, you know, a new Little Mermaid doll or something like that. Uh, but how, you know, as as a little boy, how could I tell? So I just gleefully accepted the gift and was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> but then something about the way he looked, he looked like a little bit menacing. He looked cool. And the paint job was great. They don't make toys like they used to actually mm. now, you know. Um, but the paint job was excellent. And something just drew me to this action figure. So then I opened it and I just had the best time. Me and my little Spider-Man toy, I credit my uncle gifting me that toy for uh, starting my love of Spider-Man. And then it was just nonstop, um, you know, toys, movies, yeah. video games. I would say that I, I feel confident in saying I've probably consumed 90% of Spider-Man media out there. Outside of um, comic books, obviously, because there's so much, I, and I have read a lot, a, a good chunk of them, but there's so much that um, I just feel it would be impossible to devote time to read them all, but I feel pretty confident. Um, so I'm excited to get to talk about uh, my guy, my favorite guy with you guys. I'm curious to know, uh, were there any crossovers between Spider-Man and The Little Mermaid? Was there any, or did they live in separate universes? Was that like a strict... Well, now with the Disneyfication of of uh, Marvel, yeah, um, two of my loves have collided. So I can Perfect. go to Disneyland and see Ariel, and I can see uh, Spider Man all in the same trip. So um, now dream. it's excellent, and it's um, a little bit of everything. Yeah, and uh, you know, rather unfamously, when I first moved to New York, my very first job was that I was Spider Man in the Times Square Toys R Us. So wow. kind of full circle there. That is very so short lived. Cool. Yeah, very short lived. Um, I had no idea I, that was a thing that you did. That's that's yeah. perfect. That's really cool. Putting that suit on, it was a very very well made suit, and it was just so exciting. And now uh, that's brought me here to this day. That's that's really yeah. cool. It's funny. I wasn't going to go next, but I have to jump in as someone who briefly wore the suit for a time. I was doing it. <laughs> Uh, at birthday parties for a summer, um, back pre-pandemic when I fit a little easier into the Spidey suit. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. I loved this character ever since I was a kid as well. Um, I definitely was more into like the animated cartoons. I didn't see Toby's mm -hmm. movie until a little later. I, I saw the first Spider-Man. Um, but then Andrew Garfield's came out. Um, actually, my first time on a movie set was on the set of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. No I way. am briefly in the I uh the scene where Gwen and Peter are going on a date. I'm I'm there and I still have the jean jacket I wore on set from the set of the uh yeah, Spider-Man um, 2 Union Square. Yeah, down Union Square. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great experience on set. 
maybe not the best movie, but we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, you know, that character, I, there is something so relatable about this kid. I think Peter Parker is the perfect example of someone who doesn't feel like he has a grasp on his life and yet always strives to do what's right. And I just think that is so inspiring in a hero. Um, my uh, dressing up as Spider-Man story, I remember, funnily enough, it did happen uh, actually, it happened in Long Island, so it wasn't in Queens. It was a little past Queens. But uh, when you do birthday parties, there's a bunch of kids <laughs> who are terrible. And you'll always, almost always get a kid who's screaming at you the whole time saying, like, you're not really Spider-Man. You know, you're the guy who walked in with the, with the costume bag earlier. And I remember distinctly there's this one party where I'm there. I'm greeting the birthday kid. You know, we're, we're hanging out. Um, and this kid comes up and looks me square in the eyes. And he's like, I know you're not Spider-Man. I know your real name. Your real name. And he comes up to me and he says, I know your name's Peter. <laughs> and I went, oh, this kid's in it. Okay. I pull him to the side and I go like, okay, listen, pull off my mask. Didn't have the beard at the time, thankfully. And I was like, listen, I live not far from here in Queens with my aunt. You can't tell anyone that I'm Spider-Man, okay? I don't know how you know my name, but I just need you to keep my secret for the party, okay? So for the rest of the rest of this, can you, you know, work together with the other kids and and uh, keep my identity a secret? And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so when I rejoined the party, he was very vocal. He was like, yep, this is Spider-Man. This is him. And he was, he was the sweetest, sweetest That experience. makes me want to cry. It and I wish such... that I was that little kid. Oh, I, it, it's just, it's really fun to see each generation's experience with Spider-Man play out. Um, and we'll, we'll cover all three iterations, actually four iterations, technically, here in a minute. Dev, what was your initial uh, experience with Spider-Man like? Well, I'll start off by saying I un sadly have never had the chance to wear the suit. Uh, for some reason, they have not commissioned. Hey, anyone a, a can five... wear the suit nowadays. Any... Anyone can put it on. <laughs> they have not. Com they have not commissioned a five-one woman to do it professionally <laughs> at this time. Although uh, I did just watch the new Spider Verse trailer, and I thought to myself, "Man, I have got to cosplay Spider Gwen at some you point." You gotta do Gwen. Oh, yeah, but, be great. But no, I haven't. I haven't had the honor of uh, being Spider Man yet. But that story, uh, Anthony, that you mentioned. I have a picture with the Times Square uh, Toys R Us Spider-Man from not that long ago. I was already in my 20s, not as a child. I, I took a picture when I was like 22 or 23 with him. So <laughs> I'm, my first thought is like, I wonder if that was you. Oh, it was absolutely. You know, yes. there was maybe like two or three of us that mm -hmm. um, uh, wore the suit. In my mind, it was you, though. In my heart, it will. This, oh, this is canon. This is sure. Canon. You were no, her Spider-Man. Yeah, I Absolutely. definitely remember you. I definitely remember. And we took a picture and we high five. Yeah. Well, well, I'll I'll backtrack a little bit. Uh, it's I don't even know necessarily what the initial entry point was because I can't. As a child, I can't remember a time that I didn't know what Spider-Man was. Um, mm -hmm. I I kind of idolized my older brother and. I was a bit of uh, what back then they were calling a tomboy, whereas now now it's just a girl with certain interests. Hmm. Uh, but I I always like played with his action figures specifically, and we had a lot of Spider-Man toys. And you know we always knew he was up high on things, he was climbing around, he was web slinging. You know there was I don't know when we learned that, but that was just always sort of a part of playtime. And then in two thousand two, then the Tobey Maguire film came out, and that was such a a special movie to me. I I saw it in theaters with my my mom and my brother, 
And I think that probably at that time, especially, it was probably the first superhero movie I'd ever seen. Uh, definitely the first one of that magnitude. And I thought it was the greatest movie I had ever seen, which I will give an updated uh, opinion of when we get into that. But at the time, at age 10, like, time, I, yeah. I thought yeah. that that was incredible. And there was something so epic about it and the action of it. Like we saw it like two more times in theaters because I insisted like I didn't want to see any other movie. I wanted to keep seeing that one. And I remember when we eventually did take a trip to New York, I was so excited to see Spider-Man. And uh, we didn't. But I was like, well, he's busy. He's Clearly, busy. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, busy. He, doesn't, he doesn't have time to be in the theater district. He's, I mean, he's busy. He might have been fighting the lizard in the subway tunnel. He was busy. If anything, proximity to Spider-Man doesn't mean great things for you, personally. I mean, yeah. I'd rather not be in danger. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. but it just... Uh, I think I think that that was a really important film for me. One for just you know superheroes and Spider Man, but also I think that that was one of the first movies I really loved as like just in terms of film. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's uh, you know start at the very beginning. Uh, we all touched on the first of the four Spider Man iterations, uh, played by Tobey Maguire. In 2002, Spider-Man starring Tobey Maguire was the first of three movies featuring him as Peter Parker. This first movie provides the origins of how Peter Parker became Spider-Man. Of course, famously orphaned as a child, Peter Parker lives in the borough of Queens in New York City with his Aunt May and Uncle Ben. At his high school, Peter is regularly bullied for being a bit of a nerd, goes unnoticed by his high school crush, Mary Jane Watson, as played by Kirsten Dunst, the only close friend he really has in his high school is Harry Osborn, played by James Franco. All that changes on a school field trip where he manages to get bitten by a radioactive spider, the results of which give him supernatural powers, including wall crawling and shooting webs from his wrist. After witnessing the death of his uncle, Peter Parker vows to use his powers as Spider-Man to rid New York City of evil and in so doing, takes on a new foe who's risen to power, the Green Goblin, as played by Willem Dafoe. I would first love to ask, uh, what is it about Toby's Spider-Man that you like, that you dislike, if there is anything? I think the, him being the original definitely has a, a lot to play in there because so much of the discourse now about who, who does it better, who does a better Peter Parker, who does a better Spider-Man, um, and obviously nostalgia plays a lot into that. And I, you know, these Twitter people have <laughs> a lot of strong opinions about uh, who is the better Spider-Man. And, and I, I just, for me, I, I think I do have that nostalgic love um, for Toby. But objectively, looking at the whole, I, I get what they were going for. He's averagely handsome. He kind of would like blend into the background if he didn't know who he was. And I feel like that really plays into what they were going for in the original comic run. But there's a joyfulness and a gleefulness and like a playfulness to the character that for me is, is now watching the films again is missing from his performance. Not always, but sometimes. But I do think he, I do think he plays well into the down on his luck Peter Parker, 
whatever he does, nothing's going to go right for him. I think while his Peter Parker doesn't necessarily have that, like, almost that quippiness that, I mean, is very mm-hmm. modern MCU for sure. Um, I think one thing that, depending on who you are, either serves as a very strong positive or a very strong negative is that it is such a product of its time, which for those of us who love oh, totally. that yes. 2000s yeah. cheese, like this is a great time. And and mm-hmm. it's really, it feels like a comic book movie in the sense of like, it, it has that heightened, uh, you know, the, the villains are wearing these goofy masks. There's this goofiness to some of the action pieces and, and yeah. fights. There's there's a level of camp that yeah. that um, Sam put into the movie. Camp movies. is the exact word I was thinking. Yeah. And it just, you know, when you're a younger person, you don't understand that concept at the time. Yeah. It just looks like a comic book yeah. movie. But he does inject a lot of the campiness uh, and to, into, I mean, it's a comic book movie. Right. And he takes a lot of that inspiration from the comic books that is just outlandish and crazy and silly and goofy, as you said. Right. Versus a lot of movies today are trying so hard to make things feel grounded and and gritty, and I'm like, this is a kid from Queens. <clears throat> Christopher Nolan. Been... <clears throat> yeah, no. Uh, you know, you don't need to make... Spider-Man feel gritty. Yeah, I think that level of cheese is so fun. And there's that heightened camp that really gives this series of three films its identity. Uh, Dad, you you were thinking camp as well? Well, I was thinking of the word camp, but I actually would say I almost think the Tobey movies, um, I think the camp is unintentional. Whereas Mm. I think the more Mm. current films... I think they've got an intentional campiness to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, like you said, it's it's kind of hard to compare any of the Spider-Mans to each other because they are products of their time. And for the time they were made, they fit into that film space. Because the, the thing about Toby is his movie felt like this kind of grand epic. And I think he would definitely call it an action film. Yeah. Whereas the current ones... I don't know if I'd use that word. I it's like we would almost just describe it as a Marvel film because it's yeah. almost its own sort of a combination it has a of things. Tone. Comic book yeah. movie has become its own yeah. genre. For, but you know, but those original ones with Toby. I mean, one of the things I'll say is he doesn't have necessarily the charm that I would say Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield Spider Man has. Definitely. But that is probably very realistic to an awkward teenager. Um, he's a teenager who, you know, he's supposed to be a quote unquote loser who something amazing happens to. And suddenly that contradiction between his school life and his hero life, you know, there's such a strong contrast between the two. And I think that that really works. And I also feel like with these movies, there's a little bit less of the global scale of what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Like in these movies, this weird stuff is just happening in New York. Like, we're not mm-hmm. dealing with, oh, well, then you got mm-hmm. the Avengers are doing their thing and other superheroes exist. And also, New York's been attacked before. Aliens from other planets coming in in the MCU and all that connected stuff. While that has its own place and, and there's positives and negatives to that, I think the fact that these movies are so New York focused, it really serves this trilogy of movies well. I do want to touch on our, our villain. Uh, how do we feel about... Uh, the Green Goblin, as played by Willem Dafoe, of course. Terrifying as a child. Like, he, I I thought he worked really well. He seemed to be the right amount of smart enough to, smart enough. He had the resources to be a dangerous villain, but also unhinged and maniacal enough to be 
genuinely scary. And you could see that even before he transitions to the Green Goblin, where he has like an anger management problem. Yeah. Being unhinged, I think, is more part of uh, Norman Osborn's character. And the Green Goblin formula only enhances that to the point of making him insane. This guy has the seed of that from the very beginning. I think we should also quickly touch on uh, Peter's love interest, Mary Jane Watson, as played yeah, by Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten yeah. Dunst. There's quite a divide on her, at least I've seen online. I mean, again, and it's all about kind of the timing. It's like it was a very clean sort of formula with her in this first film where she's the love interest. Uh, she doesn't do a whole lot in the first film, I right. would say. Um, I mean, in general, like, she she's kind of underutilized, which... She's a damsel in distress. Yeah. Yes, and she's there to create tension for him where it's like he has to save her or he has to worry about her. He has to worry about if his identity gets out, his loved ones, things like that. And, uh, and so she just, she's, she just doesn't do much, but... Again, like, if we're going by that formulaic superhero ideal, at the time, I mean, it was like they were this this perfect couple. And it's, <laughs> you know, it, it had this uh, this grandness to it. And, and it did feel very epic. Um, but she, she doesn't do much. Right. You know, I, she, she gets a lot of flack. I, I do really mm-hmm. like what she brings to the character. And some things I don't like. Like, I I think she can come across as, like, a little bit whiny, a little bit like pouty. Yeah. Um, but she does, you know, there, there's really good writing in some of the scenes, um, specifically where she's talking to Peter Parker. He's out of costume and, you know, the audience knows and Peter knows that she's actually talking about him, but she doesn't know that. And I think right. that is just so Spider-Man yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is just so on the T and I, I, there's, really great moments that that her and toby share together um but then some sometimes it's not so great i think it's also a thing that was a product of its time yeah as well and just her her being the damsel in distress and also falling in love with someone who she doesn't even know his real name which is silly. Yeah, it like is. it's it's like when you look at it, that's silly. You know, it's like it's it's one thing to kind of be like, oh, he's great, but you know, kind of like having those deep feelings. Realistically, no one is going to have deep feelings for someone they've only had like these brief little interactions with. It's right. like she she's not a very realistic person. She's not fully realized. Yeah. Right. And unfortunately, I just don't think that's 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 just not something the movie is is trying to do. Yeah, they're not trying to. I think unfortunately if certain tropes of that era are going to be a hang-up for you, then maybe Toby isn't your Spider-Man. Maybe you certainly don't start with him. But if you are in the mood for, like, that cheesy um, camp that has this element of of uh, heightened epicness, yeah. I think for, for those reasons, I... I don't think I can wholeheartedly give the first Spider-Man a must-watch, but I would definitely give it a solid worth watching. If you're gonna mm. yeah. if you're gonna delve into these, I think uh, 2002's Spider-Man with Toby is a solid potential starting place. Um, if yeah, you're gonna it. start with his, um, so just down the line, real quick, I'm gonna give it a worth watching. Uh, Anthony for Spider-Man, must-watch, worth watch, mm, worth watch, worth watch. It's a worth watch. Dev? In 
in terms of Spider-Man, yeah. I say it's worth watching. In terms of like the cinema history of superhero films, I would say it's a must-watch. Inch, I like that framing of it. You know, okay, it's yeah. it's like if you're just looking for Spider-Man, worth watching. But in terms of you know how we have evolved superhero films and the franchises, I think yeah. it's I think it's very yeah. important in that history. Yeah. It changed the game. Absolutely, it really it really. Um, changed the way it. that people yes yeah i mean but this really changed the landscape in in terms of how people thought about superheroes in general and also how superhero films could be made so i agree with you Deb. the next of the films featuring toby Maguire, released in 2004 is spider-man 2 peter parker is now attending college but is struggling to balance both his personal life and his life fighting crime as Spider-Man. On the personal side, he struggles with both his friendship with Harry Osborn, which is now strained due to his newfound hatred for Spider-Man, and the love of his life, Mary Jane Watson, now becoming engaged to another man. Peter is also struggling to make ends meet, which drives him to get a job taking photographs of Spider-Man for a news publication known as the Daily Bugle. Meanwhile, on the Spider-Man side of things, a new foe surfaces when a nuclear fusion experiment goes wrong, killing the wife of Dr. Otto Octavius, played by Alfred Molina. The doctor then, through a combination of experimental technology and deadly metal tentacles, becomes the cyborg villain, Dr. Octopus. However, due to much self-doubt and all the stress of his personal life, Spider-Man's powers begin to wane, and he considers whether it's worth him continuing to wear the suit. Peter Parker in in that film is probably my favorite out of the three. What I really liked about the the second film was seeing him not in high school, basically, and and be an adult and and deal with those adult problems like running late for class, but not because he wasn't you know he he missed his alarm because he was out patrolling the city and he right. had a job to do. Exactly. And he, with great power comes great responsibility. He had a place to be and he had to save the day. Right. Or deliver pizzas. I will say more so in the in the first movie, in the in the first Spider-Man movie, I think once he starts doing the Spider-Man thing, I mean, he's figuring it out, but there is no wavering like, you know, how do, it's more how do I do this versus like, do I do this? Mm -hmm. I think once yeah. once there's a there's a green goblin flying over the city, he's like, okay, right now this is, I clearly need to swing into action. Two is definitely where there's more of that internal... Uh, conflict, and I, I think that makes honestly, it makes two uh, slightly more compelling as a movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we had Alfred Molina as uh, as Doc Ock. It's hard to see the sweet man become a villain. That is that is where I'm at with him. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's very classic to have the villain that sort of is driven mad or driven to villainy by like losing a loved one. Right, like that's something that. We see a lot in that we do see a lot in these films, but um, I, I mean, I just I was so happy to see Doc Ock in the films because he is like, like he's such a classic. Yeah, I think this ranks among the best. I do think mm -hmm. I, I don't know if y'all agree that you put this one above the first Spider-Man movie, um, but I just think yes, because yeah. of that internal the answer struggle. Is yes. <laughs> I agree. The fact that we've come off of this movie where he's established his status quo as Spider-Man. And so this is the first questioning of like, is this even working? Should I be doing this? While we're in the second one here, um, I will make a point to say that 
the end of the first movie um, kind of makes this movie not quite stand on its own. And I think for a mm-hmm. newcomer to these three movies, I do think seeing the first one is essential to getting the most out of the second installment due to the fact that, and I think the spoiler is okay, uh, uh, we did have the death of the Green Goblin, a.k.a. Norman, Norman Osborn, and he uh, has a surviving son, Harry Osborn, who is friends with Peter Parker. Um, do we want to talk at all about Harry and, and Peter's friendship? Um, I think they pulled a lot of great stuff about their relationship from the comics and the mm-hmm. fact that um, Peter is, is more of an outsider and Harry is more of like the slick, cool guy. Um, you know, going back to the first film, he, he stands up for him, you know, a few times in the beginning. So you definitely get a sense of their relationship and uh, they seem to be very close. Um, so I, I do enjoy that aspect of it. Um, my my question is uh we've seen the evolution of of harry's relationship with his father like they didn't have such a great relationship but once uh norman dies then it seems like all of a sudden like harry has realized how much his father actually meant to him and how much he was just being like you know kind of a a punk kid to his dad who actually is like a psychopath but um So then he he somehow makes this decision along the way that he, that he has um, admiration and respect for his father who's now passed away and uh, I think that that's really compelling. I think James Franco is a really good actor yeah. and yeah. He, he plays those beats really well. I I agree. I I think I, I think Harry Osborn is such a good character in this film and he's in the first one, but he's not used quite as much so it's like this is really his time to shine but i'd say this film to me once you kind of get into these events and sort of the the struggles all the characters are going through in this film it makes the first one feel like a prologue to this it makes it feel like the like the first one can stand alone for sure but once you put these two together it's like oh that's the setup that's the backstory everything in the first one just feels like it's showing us what moves what motivates all these characters in this one and uh w- which is why i mean i think i think it's just everything is is heightened in this everything is like a few levels up yeah now that you've gotten through the you've gotten through the exposition yeah. and now you uh, you allow them to live in those circumstances and i think that's what yeah. makes this movie really compelling Absolutely. while introducing you know uh, a great villain um yeah. and a foil to to Spider-Man, who also happens to have a relationship with Peter Parker. Exactly. I honestly, in terms of where I would rank it, I almost want to say that of this era of Spider-Man, I think this is a must-watch, but I think you will get the most out of it watching the first Spider-Man. So I feel like you package these two together, I would put must-watch with an asterisk saying but definitely try and watch the first one before this. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I mean, granted, you have that really fun opening sequence with the flashes of, it, it, almost like comic book panels, you know, of what happened last time. Um, and you can still get a lot out of it on its own. I think it stands decently. Yeah, beautiful art by Alex Ross, those, yeah. those paintings at the beginning. Yes. Um, but I do think you get more out of it watching uh, these two together. So I would tentatively say this one is a must watch uh anthony where are you at on it 
Um, I definitely think this is a must watch. I think it's probably uh, the best superhero movie ever made. You can fight me if you want wow. to. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. High praise. Uh, I, I respectfully uh, disagree with you, Tony. I okay. don't think that it's necessary to watch the first one to enjoy this one just because I, I, I would assume that uh, because Spider-Man is so uh, like household name, well-loved, well-known character, everyone knows the story with Uncle Ben, everyone knows his origins. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do get a little bit of recap, like in the dialogue, uh, you know, especially concerning um, Peter and Harry's relationship. And you do get a little bit of recap uh, about Uncle Ben with Aunt May um, and Peter uh, in some scenes. So I feel like it's not necessary to watch the first one to enjoy this one because they do touch on a lot of backstory and because there is so much about this film that is so Spider-Man. I'm just mm-hmm. going to use Spider-Man as an ad- adjective, Absolutely. but mm-hmm. it, it, I, there's so much about it that just screams Spider-Man and, oh. and, and um, does it so well. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that yeah. essential New York playing a role. New York is a character in this story. I think this this movie, obviously, mm-hmm. the ending is just oh, a, a prime example of that. All right. So it's a must watch for you standing completely must on its watch, own. Yeah. Uh, Dev, um, must watch, worth watching. I'd say must watch. I, I think you get a better image of it with the first one, like, uh, you know, obviously. But I do think that most of these movies are made in a way where they try to give you sort of a, a, a cliff notes version of the backstory or you know they'll have a line or two to kind of let you know i i don't i think that you absolutely can watch it on its own um but i i think you i i think you feel a little more for the characters i think that if you miss the first one harry might not be as sympathetic as a character as i think he i think he can be pretty sympathetic yeah in, see that's where i'm one. coming from i think yeah. that's the just one wait till we get line. to film three yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah well yeah i think that's that's where yeah. i'm coming from for saying that like i think because yeah. that storyline is so essential that i do recommend that but i do i do agree that you will definitely get a lot out of it still if you just watch it on its own so yeah i i, I will say that across the board we as say? far as mary jane goes i don't mm. think you miss anything by missing the first one for her to be honest yeah there's just a lack of substance with her character yeah in this third and final film for toby Maguire as peter parker we have spider-man 3 released in 2007 at the beginning of the film things are going great for peter parker his relationship with mary jane watson is thriving his life as spider-man is going great And it's at this moment that an abundance of terror strikes. First, Harry Osborn still holds a deep resentment for Spider-Man and is driven to take matters into his own hands to see Spider-Man destroyed. Also, at the same time, a strange black entity from outer space enters our world and finds its way to Peter Parker. This mysterious alien parasite consumes Peter Parker, turning his classic red and blue suit to a dark black suit enhancing his abilities, but also infecting and unlocking a darker side of Peter Parker, corroding the values that makes him the stand-up person he is. Also on top of all this, a criminal has broken out of prison named Flint Marco, and he becomes the Sandman, and Spider-Man also has to fight him. As if this film needed another villain. 
Gotta stay impartial, but goodness! <laughs> so we've had a worth-watching-slash-must-watch building to a must-watch midpoint of this trilogy. Then we get to Spider-Man 3, which Woof. it is... What I can at least give it is that it's trying to do a lot of things. It's clunky. It is a mess, in my opinion. I I think, I mean, not to jump with my ranking right out the gate, but I feel solidly, to add another asterisk to my answer, I think it is a never watch unless you would like to watch it ironically. I just, I think if you want to watch the goofiest crap with Venom and Peter Parker... It is hilarious. You know, he gets infected by the symbiote, and he starts acting, how do you describe Foolish. Dark Spider-Man. <laughs> Dark. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. Silly. We could also use the word campy again. Campy, yeah. But Definitely it, campy, but maybe not. It's almost it's almost too campy to like be part of this franchise. It's just silly. Yeah. I think it's uncharacteristic of Peter Parker. I think is the bigger thing that kind of mm. just makes us like, well, this kind of sucks. At least at least the Peter Parker that we've seen in the first two films, sure. right? I have trust issues with Sony because of this movie. Ooh. Now, when the movie came out, of course, I saw it like a hundred times in the theaters. I was completely obsessed because, you know, you're a Spider-Man fan and you want to consume and love any media that comes out about it. And I love um, Venom as a character. I think he's super compelling. Oh, I, I, thought Vel- I thought Venom was so cool. He's really so cool. cool. So I love Venom and I was so excited to see him done in this film. But here's where we ca- come into this issue of how much does the studio say to you know, maybe the lower end creatives. No, like I understand you want to go for this, but money. So let's, we have to take a really, one of the most popular Spider-Man villains, one of the second, you know, more popular Spider-Man villains, third Spider-Man villain. And let's throw it all into one because the more villains we have, the more money that we're going to make. The more villains we have, the more toys we can sell. Exactly. And it's all about this, like, weird business strategy where, like, you know, objectively, I enjoy the film because it's Spider-Man, but you can sure. see the flaws and, and, and you can almost tell where uh, Sam Raimi wanted to go with the story and, mm-hmm. and where the studio jumped in and was like, okay, so he's going to have this black suit and he's going to do finger guns and he's going to dance and clap. Mm-hmm. And that is what the jazz the club Spider-Man scene. is going to be. Like, it, yeah, the jazz club scene, um, and him just you know being a general asshole yeah. to Mary Jane. Uh, I don't know, it, and it's it's tough because it, it it had the potential to be really good. Well, I think because of that whole thing, I just our protagonist loses so much agency that mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. okay, it'd be one yeah. thing if. If this movie was from Mary Jane's perspective, maybe, and we saw her trying to fix what's going on, like, if there was a character with agency trying to stop Venom, sure. But instead, we get a full movie of, hey, you like this character? Watch him be puppeteered and have no control over anything that's happening for a good chunk of the movie. I would say a through line for Spider-Man in the comics and the films has always been, of course, like, could be summed up by with great power comes great responsibility. And this film relieves him of all of his responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's... I get where they were going that, you know, obviously this alien is, is infecting him and bringing out the worst parts of him where mm-hmm. it becomes like a parasite. Right. And um, he's forced to, 
be out of character is it done right is it done well you know like right well and i would say tony well what you said about how if it was from mary jane's perspective is, is or at least of, someone who has control or influence it's an interesting observation because what's happening is sort of we don't have a hero to root for now because right. um, it's like we still we want to root for spider-man but how he's acting isn't good and there's no one else that we it's like everyone else kind of is doing crazy things as well right and well and, and, and there's just, sorry sorry yes there's too much conflict it's right. like if it was just spider-man struggling with this and then you take out maybe like three characters you don't also have the whole thing with sandman and this whole Gwen realization Stacey's about brought the way in. his eddie dad brock died. is brought in right it's, it's the stuff with the big daily bugle characters. like some of this might have been good but we tried to do all of it in one movie and it turned out yeah. to be it's messy mess it's just it's just convoluted yeah so yeah i think at this point i i think we're good to just go go through and quickly say do you say that it is skippable but not a never watch or i i will stay in the camp of it is a never watch unless you want to ironically laugh at a hilarious like just go to the middle of the movie when he gets infected with venom have a good time watching this guy make a fool of himself uh but otherwise skip it it's not worth watching yeah, I, I'd say I'd say skippable. This is a movie that kind of makes you fear, like a threequel. You know, um, it yeah. kind of makes you think like, oh no, like past two things start to get messy and convoluted. So when you do, kind please of... don't say that with this upcoming movie on the brink. No, but please see, that's the thing. Say, I don't yeah. feel any fear about this upcoming one. Okay, good. Whereas you know, whereas like maybe I I should, but I don't because it's mm. like I trust I trust the direction and I trust where it's going. Uh, and it seems to make sense. Um, but for this I, one, you're saying skippable. I'd say skippable because okay. I, I think I think I think it can be fun to watch a, a quote unquote bad movie, especially one that sort of falls so far from the second one. Mm-hmm. Anthony, what do you got? I would say skippable only if you just plan to watch one movie from the series. Mm-hmm. If you're going to watch one and two, you Don't have watch to this. watch three. <laughs> No, I would say you have to watch three oh. only for the resolution at the end. Because That's the thing, yeah. It's really, it, I think it, this is the one thing that it does well is it puts a nice hat on the end of the story. Now, when I first watched Spider-Man 3 when I was, you know, a little boy, you reach the end of the film and the first two films at the end, you have this glorious final swing with this beautiful score and the sun is shining and he's off saving the day as Spider-Man. And Spider-Man 3 doesn't have the same ending as that. And I was always like, what the F? Like, where is my <laughs> final swing? Like, I'm so upset about this. Yeah. But now as an adult, I kind of like understand it's why they did that. And mm. I almost like it. I almost like it um, because I think it, it is a nice, um, it's a point of forgiveness and it's about the relationship that they've had from when they met in high school. I'm talking about Mary Jane and, and Peter mm-hmm. Parker, where they started and then where they landed. And it's kind of like a love conquers all. And, and there, there's this whole theme of forgiveness throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it in, in Sandman's storyline. You see it with Mary Jane and, uh, and Peter Parker and Harry Osborn. Like everyone has this whole forgiveness thing happening right. and um but now I, I just kind of appreciate it so i would say mm. watch only if you plan to watch the entire series i wouldn't skip it but if you're mm. just gonna watch mm. a spider-man movie skip 
Got it. You know what? That explanation alone, I'm gonna I'm gonna change mine to skippable. I I'm gonna go from never watch. I mean, it, whether right. it's a hate watch, I that definitely convinced me. Whether it is a hate watch for the cringy bits or for that resolution, I do think the way you framed it. Yeah, no, I think that does make it not a never, but definitely skippable. Um, and from here. We transition to uh, the next Spider-Man. Toby did not come back to the franchise for a fourth. And instead, in order to retain the rights to Spider-Man, Sony had to make a new one. And so we got Andrew Garfield. Our next film, released in 2012, is a reboot entitled The Amazing Spider-Man. It is one of two films starring Andrew Garfield, now playing Peter Parker. Being a reboot, this movie covers a lot of the same origin story that the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire covers. Peter Parker is an outcast at his school, gets bit by a radioactive spider, sees his uncle die. All those beats are still in this movie. However, there are a few differences. Unlike the previous series, the Amazing Spider-Man movies focus a bit more on the disappearance of Peter Parker's parents. In fact, this movie begins with a flashback to Peter Parker's father talking into a webcam about how he regrets having to leave his son behind for reasons that he cannot disclose. Back in present day, there's no Mary Jane Watson that this Peter Parker is pining over, but rather he's developing feelings for his equally nerdy crush, Gwen Stacy, as played by Emma Stone. While searching for more clues, Peter goes poking around the labs around Oscorp, his father's former employer, where he meets an old colleague of his father's, Dr. Kurt Connors, who eventually becomes this Spider-Man's first foe, the Lizard. At the front of it, I will say Andrew Garfield is a phenomenal actor. I love him. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with Spider-Man. If you've not seen Tick, Tick, Boom, especially if you're a theater person, please see that movie. But he is brilliant in it, and I just think... He is such a gem, and I think it's unfortunate that I don't think his Spider-Man movies serve him as well as they could. Um, oh. What are your thoughts? I'm not necessarily a fan of his movies, but I, I think he is great. Um, overall thoughts on Andrew Garfield? I, I think that he is a little bit closer to what I want Spider-Man to be especially coming off of Toby, because I just think he's a little bit more entertaining. Whereas, like, Toby's feels kind of like a loner, and you believe that he would Mm -hmm. be bullied and that he wouldn't be this popular character. But um, he feels a little more awkward and a little looser. Well, it's interesting, because, like, the fact that in his first movie, you know, yeah, uh, Toby's definitely the one who gets picked on. In the first Amazing Spider-Man, oh yeah, that's the distinction. Uh, Andrew Garfield yes. is the Amazing Spider-Man. The that is amazing. how we changes everything. Um, he's not even the kid who's picked on at the beginning of his movie. It's another kid who's being picked on, and he's the one who comes up and is like, "Hey, man, don't do that." Um, mm-hmm. He definitely has a different dynamic in the high school, um, and he's a lot more aggressive. And uh, especially after the death of his uncle in this version, mm-hmm. he's like. He's vengeful, and he's, like, hunting down. Like, it's a very different vibe that if it works for you, is great. And if he's closer to Spider-Man for you, yeah. I think it kind of, I think it it, it, it kind of brings it into um, a new age, hmm. okay? Like, 2002, we could still believe that there was nerdy kids uh, in high school who got bullied and picked on. That's but good. around, what is this, 2012? 2012. Yeah. In 2012, I just feel like that kind of stereotype that trope of the nerd with the glasses who gets beat up doesn't um, 
quite add up anymore versus what 10 years before in 2002 i think you can see the change in culture and dynamic over time so i feel like that's why they kind of went in that direction where he kind of has this like techie uh aspect to him that's less like nerd with the glasses and boogers in his nose you know like i geek just sounds more right for andrew garfield to me like he's he Um, feels introverted yeah totally yeah part of the film that makes itself different and that's kind of why i took to it is you have this whole storyline with his parents uh and the film starts off and you see his parents and then they disappear and then it fast forwards and then he's with aunt may and uncle ben and uh that kind of you know sets up parts of the storyline in in the two films but uh, i think because you got to see that initial young peter parker having you know a fun relationship with his dad and, and a loving relationship with his mother and um then all of a sudden they're gone right i feel like that influences a lot of how andrew garfield decided to play the character i feel like that traumatic it's just uh, that oh, you totally. know it's how he's dealing with mm-hmm. his trauma it's so interesting that the parents are a highlight for you and that that seeing that relationship helped you or at least enhanced the experience for you i uh, I have the exact opposite opinion. I mm. don't like the backstory stuff with the parents. Oh my gosh! I know. That's fine. This is why hey, this is why yeah, I have a roundtable because it. I don't want it to just be me sitting here alone on a podcast being like, "And this movie sucks." Yeah, the only opinion. No, no. But like for me, tell me more. I just think I just think with this whole element of Peter's father inferring that Peter's dad had some connection to Oscorp and that he has some sort of hand in how he becomes Spider-Man, I just think something that's essential to the character is that this could happen to anyone. And I think this weird connection it gives him takes that away because it's like, oh, no, his dad. His dad Mm. has access to Oscorp. He has that, therefore, you know, he's able to be around the the science and the people who have the connections that eventually turn him into Spider-Man versus a kid who his parents are... Granted, I don't have the background in the comics, and that's unfortunate. So I don't know if there's more of that history with his parents. Yeah, I'll there. go ahead and jump in Please, and say yeah. that there, there, there is. Um, so it's it's really convoluted, and okay. it's kind of like um, like a don't worry about it thing in okay. terms of Spider-Man's comic book history. But his parents were like secret agents, and they died in a plane crash, and which we see you have in, all of at this the top stuff. Of second movie. Yeah, yeah, right. So. You have all of this um, kind of backstory, and I think they chose to dive into that kind of uh, storyline to really make it, to really differentiate it from the Rami movies. Yes. Um, from the Rami movies. And I, I think, um, you know, does it quite work? Do they dive enough into that kind of storyline to make it make sense why they did that? I don't know if that's true. That's sort of my take on it is, at the top because it starts off with his parents like that sort of being like the first thing we see and the first thing we're introduced to and coming off of the first franchise it's kind of exciting because it's like oh they're doing something different with it i will give you that yes and and that that's something that i do like that it sort of differentiates but then we go into seeing him change into spider-man it's like that it, it felt like we'd seen it already. Yeah, there's um, another montage. Well, yes, yeah. where it's like he's figuring it all out. He's stronger yeah. than he thinks. The difference between those two montages, though, I think there is a certain fantastical joy to Toby coming into his powers and feeling and figuring out what can I do versus Andrew, who his Peter Parker is like 
brooding know, activate death mode yeah. i need to find yeah. this guy and mess him up yeah um and there's just i do not i personally do not like that edge on peter parker um mm-hmm. uh, and so for me it just doesn't hit i think andrew garfield's doing everything he can i just really love that he creates his own web shooters and and him fiddling with it and the gadgets and i feel like that that um sciencey geeky um techie aspect to peter parker um, where he makes his own stuff, he makes his own gadgets, he makes his own costume. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the next franchise. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that I will give you that. That is something they also nail. One thing that really works, I think Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield's chemistry yeah. is great. Hell yeah. They, the awkwardness in the halls trying to ask her out and, and their relationship, I think, is... V- for me, as someone who does not like these couple of movies, the one beacon of, like, this is a part of the Spider-Man story that they got right. Yeah, And she's given more characters. She's more oh, interesting. Absolutely. Like, she's more interesting from the get-go. Yes. They, they give her a little bit more depth and a little bit she's, – she's more realized, I would say, than Mary Jane was. Absolutely. I think also with the Peter and Gwen's relationship is she's not too cool for Peter Parker – Mm, um i do love that. whereas like uh peter and mj like she was you know part of the popular crowd and i, I think like it's almost like hard to believe that she would really even notice them him even though they live mm-hmm. next door to each other but she ends up falling for him anyways um but there was there's something about peter parker that gwen notices and um is intriguing to her where she is in love with Peter Parker. MJ yeah. was in love with Spider-Man, right. who just happened to be Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, as far as the plot of this first movie, the first Amazing Spider-Man, honestly, I think the lowest points in both of his installments are the villains. And I think in this one, mm. you unfortunately get the lizard, Kurt Connors. And in this iteration, I just, there's just certain writing beats that are terrible. Yeah. And I don't think I can say this. I, I'm, I'm cringing because I can't say, like, Peter Parker brought his and that's how the lizard figures out that's like I there's a little bit of laziness in terms of the the plot I did like these movies it just I it didn't feel like it was a an improvement from the original ones it felt sort of like a lateral move so they're different Mm. but kind of somewhat equivalent i would say you know whereas uh you want oh they're doing it again it's a little bit it's a few years later so obviously you know times change quickly it's a little bit more modern and you kind of think it'll be this big leap forward um and we'll see like oh what's it gonna look like now and it just doesn't feel different enough for them to exist i will say some of the fighting and his web slinging through new york is also visually some Visually, of the his fights are yes. really and different good. enough from the the previous. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Films that it's yeah, that's really that's good. that's probably one of the highlights. So personally, it's hard to rank this when I have such a strong skippable. Personally, I do think this first movie is skippable. However, mm-hmm. if the sound of this Peter Parker who has a bit more of this edge to him, if you're listening to this and you're like, no, that I would totally jive with that, then it's a worth watching for you. Personally, I. Mm-hmm. I sit on the skippable side of that teeter-totter. But, uh, Anthony, what, what do you think on that one? Um, for me, it's a worth watching. Just for the reinvention of, of the character and the story. And worth watching, if only for 
uh, his relationship with Gwen and the chemistry that Andrew and Emma have um, just feels really good. Totally fair. Yeah. Uh, so that's a worth watching for you, Anthony. Uh, yeah. Devin. Dev. I never call you Devin. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I go back and forth hmm. because it's because I, I know I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I think I think being able to kind of compare the different Spider-Mans to each other makes you appreciate the one that you do appreciate more. Um, yeah. which is point. why it's it's hard for me to say it. like I, I don't know if I'd say skip it all together because there are some parts of this that there are there are singular elements like uh, I think Gwen Stacy is a great addition. I do think it's interesting to tap into the backstory. But I, I think I would say overall, I don't think that this is one of the better films, but there are some elements that I'd say make it worth watching. You're sitting right on that line. Right yeah. on that line between worth okay. watching. Okay, yeah. all right. Web shooter to your head. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, web shooter to the head. Uh, I, I'd say, I would say worth watching, okay. but it's I, I guess it's important for me to say that like when we are getting into sort of uh if you could only watch a couple sure i think you should watch the first of each one that's I, an interesting strategy for later let's definitely I, circle back to that that's, I, yeah. I i would say worth watching in that sense if you're only going to pick one spider-man to watch i would say this is the one to skip interesting. Like, if, and i mean spider-man as a character as a char- if you're only like gonna pick inter- one consideration of him yes i would um, say this is the skip most skippable franchise we, yeah but when we get to the starter pack segment, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't mm-hmm. settled on that, but I there is something to say to just watching the first of each one. I'm keeping um, my mouth shut because I have things to say. Ooh, but I'm yeah. saving. Oh, it's exciting, it's exciting. <laughs> In 2014, we got the sequel to The Amazing Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. This is the final installment starring Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker. After the events of the previous film, We find Peter Parker struggling with whether or not it's right for him to continue his relationship with Gwen Stacy. On the one hand, he loves her, but on the other hand, he knows that she could end up in harm's way due to his crime fighting as Spider-Man. Meanwhile, on the Spider-Man side of things, we first see him fighting the Rhino, played by Paul Giamatti, after which we are introduced to this series iteration of Harry Osborn, this time played by Dane DeHaan. Harry and Peter are old friends, And after the death of Harry's father, Peter checks in on him. It turns out that there is a genetic disease in the Osborne family and is also slowly killing Harry Osborne. Harry is convinced after seeing clips of Spider-Man that what he needs to create an antidote for this disease is a sample of Spider-Man's blood. And because Peter Parker has a job taking photos of Spider-Man for the Daily Bugle, he thinks that Peter Parker might have an in with Spider-Man, not knowing that they are the same person. At the same time as all of that, this movie also introduces Max Dillon, played by Jamie Foxx, who is a strange, socially awkward employee of Oscorp, who through hijinks, is the kindest way I can put it, falls into a pit of eels and turns into the villain known as Electro. I am not making that up. That is exactly how that happens. We're going to move on to uh, Andrew Garfield's next installment, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which... Double woof. Double woof. More so honestly than Spider-Man 3. Because I think, to your point, that convinced me to take it from never watch to skippable, I think 
this uh, Spider-Man three for the Raimi films does a good job of at least keeping the storyline cohesive and 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 ending it on an interesting note. This one is so focused on trying to bring new elements in rather than trying to shape the narrative of this movie that even more so than Spider-Man 3, we're getting Rhino thrown in at the beginning and then you got Electro, Electro. and you got, uh, uh, you've now got Dane DeHaan as, as his version of Harry Osborn. Uh, it's just, there's a lot happening and I think it just is a mess. And for me, the one thing that I love about The Amazing Spider-Man, which is Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy's relationship, gets totally botched in my opinion in this movie mm. because of the whole you know every spider-man runs into the the question of like do i have a loved one and risk having them in harm's way which is a great question but the way this movie does it having recently watched twilight for the first time he's got this weird edward from twilight like i'm gonna watch you from far away he's thing. broody he yeah. is and it's creepy and it's it just makes me not like him, and and it and then eventually when she finds out he's been doing this, she's into it, and I'm like, that's kind of weird. Um, yeah, and I just also don't think the villains are believable. Jamie Foxx's character is is cartoonish. Un- what? Yeah, it, it, he's a cartoon. Yeah, it's like a cartoon. Yeah, and not and not in a great way. Well, a way in a way that doesn't fit in with the rest of the tone of the film. Because if they were going for that, there is a version of that. Because I, I think I actually liked Electro and I liked the portrayal of it. I just didn't really fit the tone. So I, uh, I've i been pulling up the Wikipedias for each one just to make sure I'm getting the names right. And to sum it up, the, the way it's, it's, it says here, in the film, Peter Parker tries to protect Gwen Stacy as he investigates his parents' death while also dealing with the supervillain Electro and the return of his childhood friend Harry Osborne, who is dying from a deadly genetic disease. That is so many things. That's just, it's a lot of things, and it sort of suffers from a similar thing, I'd say, as we Mm -hmm. said, Spider-Man 3 suffers from uh, the other one. It's just, it's a lot going on, and it doesn't necessarily, it feels, it doesn't necessarily all come together in a way that feels clean, that feels that they've each been explored enough. Yeah, it's, it's really messy. The through line is just going all over the place, and you can't really Mm -hmm. follow, like, who did what when and why did they do it this way and it doesn't really land and it's yeah. disappointing because I get that they were trying to go for something different and I, I get that they were trying to make the greater uh, connections and it's really disappointing because if you took like maybe one aspect of the plot out and maybe like a little aspect of another mm-hmm. plot out and you mm-hmm. focus more on one mm-hmm. thing, yeah, it would have yeah. um, made it that much better of a film. Even f- pick two things, like that yeah. would still be an improvement versus what was that, five things you listed? It, it's just, it's so many things and so many characters, especially since we've seen some of these characters before. Yeah. But I, I will say though, this movie has more scenes that were fun to watch. The fighting, mm-hmm. I will say, Electro, like... Yeah, Electro's fighting is cool. The way he cool. fights, very cool. And I mean, like yes. you said, he is comic-y, but I do like, you know, just how like like how he starts out very uh, quiet. You know, he's like this this engineer, this scientist, and then, and then sort of like that evolution. Like, if you just watch his scenes... It's hitting me right now. You know what this is. It's Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. <laughs> yeah. It's this thing of he has yeah. this person he idolizes. His mental health is not in a great place. And I think there is a way that you could have fleshed it out, not necessarily one for one, like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, but I just think 
yeah, you could have focused on this character and and developed and put him in a situation where he needed a few more scenes. He did. He did. He didn't need yeah. to be one of four villains. He needed to have yeah. his own time, and he and he didn't. Yeah. So I think for me, I'm just gonna throw in. I think this. I, there might be arguments for skippable. I think I will stand solidly that this one is the never watch for for me for for this series of films. I'm going to say skippable for this one. Uh, and my caveat for skippable instead of never watch is um, the adaptation of one of the most famous uh, Spider-Man comic book storylines uh, yeah. ever. That's a good point. And, and I thought it was um, well played. I, I won't give away, but I, I yeah. thought it was... Um, really good uh, build up to that ending and, and uh, this in, in the overall story of Peter Parker. Man. So skip, 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 skippable. skippable. I hate to say it. Skippable. Yeah. Dev. I also think, I also think it's skippable. I don't think I would ever say never watch just cause I think they're all fun. Like I just remember seeing this one in theaters and leaving and being like, well, it was fun to watch if nothing else. It, it's, it, it is mm. entertaining. It does have a good cast. Um, but it just there's just so much going on. So if you're yeah. looking for like a solid plot, if you're looking for, you know, everything to be kind of neat and have a greater purpose, you're not going to find it. But but just in terms of like, oh, like, let's throw on let's throw on a Spider-Man. Like, I, I think this I, I think I like this one better than the first Amazing Spider-Man. Really? Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I I don't think it's it might not be as good of as good of a film Mm. like entertainment value alone i think i just think it's a little bit more interesting i i disagree with that but that's interesting i think the first one's at least watchable i do i just i stick with this one's not watchable to me but that Mm. is i have uh, i have one last thing to say yeah uh i love the uh look of his suit in uh the second film yes i like the uh, different the way they made her his suit different in the first uh, Tasm film. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me some sort of reason as to why it changed. Give me any explanation as yeah. to why toys, Anthony. Toys. We need new. We need oh, new toys. Thank you for reminding yeah. me. Yes, but yeah. of course. I think his his first suit um, got a lot of flack from the fans. Like it wasn't. It doesn't. Didn't have the iconic look, but it did grow on me a lot, and I, I do appreciate it for what it was. Yeah. Give yeah. me a like a line as to why he changed the look. That's all. That's all I need. There's just right. no explanation, but just give me one line in the film. Oh, well, I updated my costume because X, Y, and Z. That's sure. all. Speaking of suits, uh, Tom Holland, the MCU Spider-Man, has a lot of different suits. And I think to that weird a point. A lot of different a suits. A lot of different suits. Yes, that's for toy reasons. But also, I do think each suit weirdly has a purpose it's it's like an upgrade it's not just like a style change it's like we start with the homemade suit then we go to the stark built suit then we go to the hey just in case you gotta go to space suit like at least there's like a different function instead of like i don't know i just have a bunch of variants of this tactical piece of clothing we now have made it to our current live action spider-man featuring tom holland playing peter parker The first thing worth noting is that this Spider-Man exists within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That means this Spider-Man lives in the same world as 
Iron Man, and Captain America and the Avengers. So what's interesting about this Peter Parker is that he actually first appears as a cameo in one of Captain America's movies, Captain America Civil War. To summarize what he does in this movie, he's already been bit by the spider, we don't need to see that again, he has his powers. He pops onto the radar of genius billionaire playboy philanthropist Tony Stark, as played by Robert Downey Jr., and he recruits him to join his team during the events of Captain America Civil War. In the scenes he's featured in, he gets a taste of what it feels like to be, for lack of a better term, playing in the big leagues. He's fighting alongside Black Widow and Ant-Man, and he's fighting against Captain America and Black Panther, people he's idolized, and he's finally going toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. And the events of that film lead directly into his first solo movie. But first, the roundtable is going to discuss whether it's worth watching the Marvel movies he is briefly featured in. All right, next up, we do have Tom Holland, um, the youngest. That's one of the things that works in his favor. He feels more like a kid to me, and yeah. I think that's a huge thing with him. Before getting into his individual movies, something worth noting, obviously he has his little cameos in Captain America Civil War, uh, as well as his presence in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. I don't know if we want to quickly talk about how you feel as far as someone who is just focusing on Spider-Man. Do you think it's worth them visiting? We'll start with Captain America Civil War. Do you think it's worth them watching that movie if they're only in it for Spider-Man? I I don't think I don't think it's necessary because you can't just watch Captain America Civil War. You know, you can't just watch the Avengers. Like I wouldn't suggest doing that. So See, the I, tricky I, thing becomes cuz Dev in the last episode we did we both said that Captain America Civil War is a must-watch, but I think I think we do have to I, <laughs> specify that the in terms of the MCU, yeah, in the MCU, absolutely, yeah, yeah. In but terms, in terms of, of Spider-Man, yes, yes, I I think it's a must-watch, but I that's the thing is like so I but I I would never say to just watch that to get into Spider-Man. You right. have to watch it in the context of everything else. But I think that both Homecoming and uh, Far From Home. I think they both do a good job of giving you kind of a brief little refresher on what has just happened. Mm -hmm. I did just rewatch these with my boyfriend who didn't watch uh, any of the Avengers or Civil War or anything. Interesting. And okay. uh, and it wasn't, you know, there was no real confusion as to uh, what happened. I think they explained it in a way that was, a, you know, there are questions what? raised, but you understand enough to understand what happens next. You're saying Tom um, hasn't seen Endgame? No. That is I told insane. you he's not a... He, but here's I the feel thing. really sorry for him. <laughs> well, here's what I'll say. He doesn't love the Marvel movies. He has read every Marvel comic. As far as Civil War and uh, Infinity War and Game, I don't think that you you need to, to watch them to get the arc. If only, to, like, for his relationship with Tony. That's which... my thing. In terms of Spider-Man, I think Civil War is skippable. I don't know. Thinking about... I mean, we'll we'll talk about the first movie, but coming off the first movie, his relationship with Tony Stark is vital to this Spider-Man. And I think, for spoiler reasons, not so much Endgame, but at the very least, Infinity War, I struggle in in saying that it's skippable only because but it's the a big problem piece is like you can't tell him... someone to just watch Infinity War. They have to watch so many things to lead up to that. I know. You're right. I think that they do that on purpose with this this iteration of Spider-Man is they make it so that you kind of 
you you do want to watch like 15 other films to get to this point right especially because we have seen spider-man before right so introducing him sort of slowly like that and giving you know not bothering to go into the backstory and he's now he's in new york city but he's in a universe where we know other superheroes we know that these things happen and it's not just like you know, in in that first Tobey Maguire, the Green Goblin's there, and it's like, what is that? But right. they're living in a New York where this kind of thing happens. We literally, like the first Avengers movie, an entire fleet of aliens attacked yeah. already. Like, and we've they, been through bigger and things. And wormholes opened in the right. sky. Exactly. The thing yeah. that I think is so great about these Spider-Man movies is they they address all of the, the sort of real-world effects of some of the things happening. In 2017, we have the first solo movie for this Peter Parker, Spider-Man Homecoming. In 2017, we saw the first solo movie featuring this Peter Parker, played by Tom Holland, entitled Spider-Man Homecoming. Peter is getting home from the experiences featured in Captain America Civil War, and he struggles to return to a small life in Queens, living with his Aunt May, when all he wants now is to prove himself to be a hero worthy of being a part of the Avengers. However, his mentor from the previous movie, Tony Stark, as played by Robert Downey Jr., keeps reminding him that it may be a good idea for him to focus on just being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Despite his best efforts to balance his ordinary life as a high schooler, Spider-Man still finds himself trailing a potential new foe who deals in extraterrestrial weapons known as the Vulture. If, if we're going into Homecoming, I, to your point, yes, we've been in a world with aliens and and gods and and all that it's fun to play with well i love the fact that the scale honestly of the first spider-man with tom holland it's this small scale friendly neighborhood spider-man where he's like yeah i guess if i'm not you know trying to stop aliens coming from a beam in the sky like what am i supposed to do he has too much time on his hands he wants to feel like he's a part of something and the fact that this movie occurs on yeah. a relatively small scale compared to everything else that happens yeah. in that series is such a plus for this movie. Well, and not to mention that the backstory for the villain in this film, the Vulture, is so much more... Com- like. It- well, can we talk about the fact that all the villains leading up to this point, canonically, in, in all iterations of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. they've all been genius scientists, whatever. Like, And yeah. this guy... He is yeah. more of like a working class. He's fighting for that, yeah. Right, yeah. and so it's, it's it's very it's nice to see something different in that regard with this villain. So I'm gonna jump in, and I hear everything you're saying. <gasps> okay, respectfully disagree. Ooh, okay, interesting. I think I'm just kidding. Get off the podcast. Uh, uh, we. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go for I, it, please. I, I lo- you know, <laughs> it's great setup. I'm glad it wasn't a rehash of an origin story. But like we said, all of these big events, he's he's already existing in a world where these superheroes are known. And I think that there's just parts of being the small scale hero. This is what it is. I think Spider-Man works best when he is the loner and he's not buddy-buddy friends with all the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And when he creates his own tech from scratch on his own when he yeah. creates his own costumes from scratch on his own his mcu like origin and his rise to like being a quote-unquote avenger i think uh all the parts that led up to that kind of diminish the 
uh, character in terms of his ingenuity, his intelligence, mm. his uniqueness. And a lot of people actually don't like Tony Stark, the character, very much. But I understand that there's a there's a fond uh, love for Tony Stark and sure. Robert Downey Jr. with the character. Right. Um, but putting him in this mentor position um, where he is the leading player of the Avengers and then taking this small scale, you know, vigilante teenager and booting him up all the way to the top, I think you lose a lot of dynamic along the way because there's a lot more that Peter Parker has to figure out that yeah. gets skipped when he goes all the way to the top. Wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, and I think that's genuinely why I like Homecoming so much. And when he joins the Avengers in the next Avengers movie, it feels like a weird switch. I think, uh, for me, Homecoming, I think, is one of the best Spider-Man movies because Iron Man is spending the whole time basically saying, kid, you're not an Avenger. You don't need to do this. And Peter's trying to prove himself, pr try to prove himself. And he's having to learn to appreciate being the little guy and that he does have a lot to learn. And then I do think when we do take the next steps in the next movies, we do undo that by him instantly going, just kidding, you're an Avenger now. Like, that's that does feel like a big jump. That doesn't quite gel with you. That's, yeah, totally. I think it's it's similar to how I feel about the, the Andrew Garfield side where, it, like, I see how you could buy into that and it just doesn't resonate with me. And on the flip side with this one, I think I seeing that that journey of him wanting to be an Avenger and having to learn this. The, Tom Holland has to learn to appreciate advocating for the little guy versus Toby and Andrew, who are both just like, oh, no, these are the people I got to stand up for. I mean, I don't necessarily hate seeing a different Peter Parker go through that, but if that's, but I totally get, if that's inherent to Peter Parker to you, then yeah, I get that that's not as... Well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. One point I'll also throw out at Homecoming is I do like the addition of Ned. I think he is a great support for Peter. I just, I feel like both of them, both Ned and Peter in the in Homecoming, just, they feel like real high school students. Like their reactions feel genuine to how a teenager would handle things. Cause you know, it's like you're, the arc of Spider-Man has always been a teenager who's being thrust into this situation beyond himself. What would that look like? And I, to me, this looks the most like what I would think an actual well, teenager would kind of go through. It's fun seeing them fanboy. Like, they do get that yes. moment of being like, this is so cool. Whereas, yeah. like, you do have those moments at times with the other two, but, like, they really are, there is that excitement. Yeah, it's exciting and it's fun until it's not. And it feels kind of grown up to them. It's like, oh, we're, yeah, exactly. Until and it's then not. it's like they, they feel realistically stressed out and like kind of overwhelmed when it's not because fun. it's really serious yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, as part of the teenage aspects i i do really enjoy that and you know john watts had the cast of the film watch uh john hughes movies like the breakfast club and and yes. whatnot just just to um understand that feel of uh teenager and the angst and the the drama and the puberty that just comes along yeah. with that and i think that really informs uh, the characters well and I also think um, what I do appreciate <laughs> I do have things that I appreciate yeah, yeah. about these films giving the characters like un an untraditional look that is just more modern and kind of updating mm -hmm. those things back from like we said earlier like the the nerd trope doesn't really exist uh, it didn't exist really in 2012 and even more so now also weirdly and maybe you'll disagree but i think him having a love interest like he with liz in this film it doesn't feel quite as heavy but it feels a lot more like um 
here's my Spider-Man life, here's my teenager life, and trying to juggle both of them. Right, those worlds come together beautifully. Well, and I also love that this, in this movie, this romantic relationship isn't this deep, passionate, yeah. like, Mary Jane. And, no, this is a kid who's never really dated anybody. He's got anybody, a crush. And he's got a crush. And it's this, it's this much more surface level, but very relatable teenage experience that plays out really well in this movie. I think, to your point with the John Hughes references and all that, like, it plays as a really great coming-of-age story, as mm. well as a, a fun superhero movie. Um, so as far as ranking this one, I... I personally give it a very strong must-watch um, up there with the first Toby. Um, I, I just think there's enough beats of that quintessential Spider-Man. I do think you need to pair it with some of the other iterations for sure. But I think the things that this Spider-Man does bring to the table, especially in this iteration, are just worth are, are, are worth the time uh, watching this movie. Um, uh, Anthony, your thoughts? I'm really curious. I would say worth watch. Okay. I'm not going to say must watch. Um, for me, for, in my personal Spidey experience, it, it feels like there's beats that could have been played that are essential to Spider-Man that are skipped. And I would have loved to see Tom Holland experience those mm-hmm. moments. And even if they told it in a new way or they did something different, it, I just missed a piece of it there. So... Worth watching. Worth watching. Uh, Dev. Uh, for me, it's a must watch. I think what it comes down to when you are kind of picking your Spider-Man is do you want a Spider-Man that's relatable or do you want a Spider-Man to idolize? Um, because, uh, you know, I, I think that it's a more relatable Spider-Man, which isn't for everyone. That's not necessarily something that you want. But uh, I, it feels like... Uh, when I, when I was little and saw Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, that's what I needed at that time was that hero who's, like, strong and, like, important and serious. And now that I've kind of grown with it, like, the movies feel cleaner because he's a little bit messier. Uh, so for so for me, it's a must-watch. And for me, probably my favorite of... It's, it's one of my favorite Marvel films in general. I would agree. In the MCU, it's definitely a favorite mm-hmm. for sure. Following Spider-Man Homecoming, this Peter Parker is involved pretty heavily in the next two Avengers movies, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. While I won't go in depth into these two movies, if you would like to be caught up on what Peter Parker does, keep listening. If you do not want spoilers for Avengers Infinity War or Avengers Endgame, I would mute or turn down your sound for the next 20 seconds. All right, you ready? In Avengers Infinity War, Iron Man officially dubs Spider-Man an Avenger. However, at the end of that movie, Thanos successfully snaps half of all life in the universe out of existence, including Peter Parker. The events in Avengers Endgame successfully brings Peter Parker and everyone else snapped out of existence back to life. However, that movie does end with the death of Peter's mentor, Tony Stark. All right, we all back now? Good. If you want to be strict about those spoilers, you might not want to watch this next movie, but The rest of our conversation will contain no significant spoilers for the two movies I just talked about. Tom Holland's second solo movie as Peter Parker was released in 2019, and it is Spider-Man Far From Home. Following the events of those Avengers movies, this Peter Parker just needs a break. So he agrees to go on a school trip to Europe, partially for the change of scenery, but mostly to get closer with his new love interest, MJ, played by Zendaya. 
However, Peter Parker just can't seem to get away from danger because his fun-filled trip is suddenly interrupted with a string of strange attacks by new creatures known as elementals. Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson, reaches out to Peter Parker and attempts to convince him to join the fight to destroy these elementals. Peter is torn because he needs a break from this type of adventure, but of course he believes that with great power comes great responsibility. So he belligerently decides to hear Nick Fury out. Part of this team trying to fight the elementals is a newcomer named Quentin Beck, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. He's a hero who comes from another dimension that was formerly destroyed by these same elementals. While he couldn't save his world, he wants to do everything he can to save this one. He hits things off with Peter, who jokingly gives him the nickname Mysterio, which he takes on as his moniker. Peter then has to decide whether he thinks he's up to the fight or whether he should just let himself be a normal teenager and leave the fighting to those who are more equipped to do so, like Nick Fury and Mysterio. We sort of touched on Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Without the rest of the MCU, yeah, maybe it's not... I struggle with, with not at least checking in on Peter's relationship with Tony. But to your point, Dev, they do a good job of summarizing the events mm-hmm. of those movies at the beginning of Far From Home. And it doesn't feel Ooh. like heavy-handed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so coming off of the events of Avengers Endgame, we have Far From Home, which the credit I will give it, it has a lot riding on its shoulders like it's coming off of one of the biggest cinematic events of all time it's mm-hmm. like how do you follow that up and so there was a lot that needed to happen and i think in in some ways it it was kind of a a little summer vacation after a crazy time but yeah, I, in other a lot way, of I pressure think, yeah yeah a lot of pressure though and i just think there's things that it did well um I just think, and I was starting to say this to Anthony before we started recording, mm-hmm. Spider-Man Homecoming is about this child wanting to aspire to be something bigger and telling all the adults, hey, I can I can do these big things, and all the adults turning to him and going like, hey, you're not ready for this. And in this movie, this kid doesn't have much agency, and he's getting all this responsibility thrust in his lap that he's not ready for, and he's turning to all the adults being like, hey, I don't want to fight X, Y, and Z, and all the adults are like, hey, you have to do this, and he's sort of just forced into a lot of these scenarios well that's what that's what makes sense to me is that in the first movie he's like i want the responsibility then when he gets it he realizes oh it's it's not as easy as i thought like he wanted the responsibility when he was fighting alongside all these other people but now we're in a world where we've lost several of those heroes and when it's just him by himself he realizes like he i i think it's it makes sense that he's kind of realizing oh maybe i i can't actually handle it the way I thought I could. I'd say that those mm-hmm. are the elements that I do think work in this movie. I just think when you look at the the adults, Nick Fury is relying on this fifteen year old to do to do things. Doesn't seem it doesn't seem comprehensible. Doesn't seem realistic to me that all this would be thrust onto him. Anthony, your thoughts? Um, this is where we kind of um, disagree, Dev. Okay. I I mm-hmm. think like. Um, you know, he has the, this responsibility and he wants to escape. And I think for me, taking Spider-Man out of New York um, mm. is yes. just so 
It doesn't feel right. You know, Nick Fury should be so lucky that Spider-Man would show up to help him. It's not that Nick Fury needs to go out and say, hey, we need your help. And then Spider-Man's like, "Uh, no, I'm just trying to have fun. That that's the conflict of Spider-Man for me is, you know, it sucks. It sucks to him that that Spider-Man is constantly ruining Peter Parker's life. Right. And but he won't step away from it he 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 won't deny the responsibility that he has to do and him saying well i just want to take a little vacation i want to spend time with mj we're gonna have fun it's gonna be a school trip <laughs> right. i'm gonna leave my responsibility behind in new york it doesn't add up for me and it doesn't um make sense as, as to uh who spider-man is as, as a character as as i've known to to come and uh, to know him and, and appreciate him it, but i understand I get, that that other people well, find it more relatable and and that it makes sense in terms of the greater mcu that he would act this way it piggybacking off of that i think if they had gone more with the angle of you know because he's not even questioning hey you know i i'm here to stand up for the little guy if he were to approach the situation as hey this battle is too big for me to fight you've got this other guy who can do this I'm. This is big scale. I'm small scale. If that was his reasoning, I could maybe I buy that more. I think they do kind of touch but, on that because it is more like yeah, I don't they, even know if I want to do this. Do. Like I'm I not doing they, it because I don't think it's. I think they my do kind of say grades. like, oh well, Mysterio's here. Like let him do it. Like yeah. I, I do. I do think he kind of. But he's not saying no to go do something else that is more his speed. Mm-hmm. He's saying no to go on a vacation. He didn't even want to bring his suit on his vacation. Right. He wanted to leave it behind. Right. Which would have been. You know, then he really would have been screwed. But but right. also, you know, keep in mind because because I well I hear what you're saying because I also think you're you're kind of referencing more the source material and like the faithfulness mm-hmm. to sure, that, which which is mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. fair. Whereas I for one for one thing, I mean, I like that Spider Man is out of New York just because in while yes, this is only the second of Tom Holland Spider Man. This is mm-hmm. the sixth Spider Man movie, right? And yeah. the other six, and we've, we've are, seen a lot of it. Are yeah, in I agree. New York, we've seen a lot. and yeah. and so I I think that they I think that that's sort of one of the reasons for kind of switching it up. But also, you know, when you talk about this responsibility, it's like it's it's not a lot of it is, is responsibility that he didn't necessarily ask for, and that people keep trying to yeah force upon him where whereas mm-hmm. in in this sort of source material it's more that he's taking it on willingly whereas in mm-hmm. this one it feels it feel it does feel a little more um like he's forced into it and at first he's excited but then gets in over his head yeah. so yeah I, I i think that difference is just kind of a preference thing yeah totally and, and fair I, totally. I, I get it totally and i think that because we have that first iteration of spider-man with Tobey Maguire, where I feel like he is a little more that idealized, like, hero fighting for the little man. That's why I like this change in this one. Yeah, I I don't, I do not think that Tom Holland has to be that 1,000%, you know, uh, accurate to the comics portrayal. I just, for me, yeah, I, 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 with Anthony on this one, that it didn't quite feel like Peter Parker... I don't know. He wasn't um, rising to the to the occasion like he typically would, or backing off for the right reasons. Um, and one other thing that I do want to hit on: look at the villains that he's gone up against. And in this one, the scale of what he's trying to fight isn't relatable. And it it, it, it they try to tie it into the other movies from the MCU, and it just the things that 
the entity that he's fighting is capable of and the fact that it's evading all of the the resources on earth at, with the most spoiler free version of that that I can do uh it just doesn't add up to me that that I really <laughs> that, that I think yeah. that sort of story though of and his motivation and how he's doing it is I actually find that to be very See, I'm, exciting I'm questioning very whether or not to spoil that's the other spoiler yeah. that I'm no, saying. No, I, I wouldn't, I don't think you have to spoil it, but I would just say that well, I it think sucks that, that the spoiler is just the character itself, because anyone who knows yeah. a bit about the character is like, well, yeah. Yeah, well, that's why, that's why, like, Tom yeah. knew immediately watching it. Yeah, I, I think with a very different motivation, a very different way of doing it. Yeah. Um, And I, I think that those scenes, uh, I'm not sure how to say this without, right, without right, spoiling. no, I know. But some of the, some of the scenes where he's sort of taking on and what that means he has to confront, I think, are very visually exciting. Visually, very... the sequences with mm -hmm. yeah. are some of the... One of the best. Yes, visually, yeah. one of yeah. the best realized things in any of these movies. Spider-Man Far From Home, personally, I think it's worth watching. I wouldn't even say solidly worth watching. I would say, like, it's it's a soft worth watching. I think it's not one of the best in the series, but it, it's a good time where it, where it hits right, and... Uh, yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah, I, I would agree with I, I think it's a very fun movie. I think visually, like, some of the stuff they do is just... And some of the stuff they explore is is really fun. I don't think that there is anything in this film, aside from the post credit scene, that is actually going to have much of an impact on the next hmm. one. Like, I think you could skip from one to three pretty cleanly. Like, I, it, when you think about the events that happened and where they'll go from there, I think that maybe the post credit scene is the only thing that you need to know going into the third one. Hate to be on brand here. I'm going to do uh, skippable. Oof. That's okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I was on the fence slightly. I, I landed on the other side. Hey, but if, I at least it. it's not a never watch. I yes. don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's like, it's an <laughs> enjoyable it movie, but I, I don't, I wouldn't quite get it warranting a never watch, but yeah, no skippable. Totally. The final theatrical Spider-Man film that we are speaking about today is unique in so many regards. First off, it's an animated feature, which is already a huge shift from these live action adaptations, but in a way it also harkens back to the hand-drawn comic book roots. Secondly, our protagonist is not Peter Parker. In all of the adaptations we've talked about so far, the spider has taken a bite out of Peter Parker a white boy from Queens. But in this animated feature, we are introduced to Miles Morales. He is Afro-Latino. He is from Brooklyn, so we're going to a different borough. He is bilingual, bicultural. And this movie begins with him reluctantly enrolling into an elite New York City boarding school. However, when he's not in school, he heads into an abandoned New York City subway tunnel, which is where he gets bitten by the radioactive spider. So in a way, it's another origin story, but what makes this adaptation unique is it's a different Spider-Man, but he's also not the only Spider-Man. Let's touch on the one animated entry, mm -hmm. cinematically, uh, that we're going to acknowledge here, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which totally, in a way, does away with the Peter Parker storyline for our protagonist, but also gives us a a couple new angles as far as looking at the Peter Parker story. Um, this is honestly one of my favorite animated films of all time. I, it oh, is yeah. so inventive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, 
taking a, a story that is so well known. This movie took this mythos and and used the medium of animation to really look at it from a ton of different angles. Um, and we get a new Spider-Man, many new Spider-Men, but the protagonist being Miles Morales, I think he's a wonderful uh, protagonist. Who wants to jump in on Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah, I mean, I think just what that does for animation is so incredible because in the last few years, or even, I guess, the last couple of decades, I'd say, I feel like animated films have just made a move towards trying to be, look as realistic as possible. Like, oh, mm-hmm. look how many strands of hair you can count. Look at the fur. Look, you can uh, see the, the motion. Water the water. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this is sort of a reminder of, like, the with animation, you can utilize it. You can do things with it that it's you can't do with live yeah. action. And they really, they, they really took every piece of it and like played with it you know like the little like comic like thought bubble type yeah. things the spidey senses well, like the, the they the even want to look hand-drawn love like it. that's huge yes love it yeah yeah it was so fun to watch i think it was just so well done mm. and i love miles and i think mm. it's so important and i think that um it's inventive and it's new and it was funny and fun and colorful and it also presented uh, Peter Parker that we haven't really seen um, and not one that I would even say was like comic book accurate, but that felt like Spider-Man without needing to uh, hit, hit all those buttons. Right. It's very lo- like loosely based on um, the uh, Spider-Verse storyline from the comic books, right. but... Um, Miles was initially introduced in the in the ultimate comic storyline after the death of Peter Parker, and then they transitioned him to the main six one six universe. Um, uh, so his his origin in the film is like a little bit different, but mm-hmm. I just loved watching it because it was it kept me on my toes. I was so surprised, mm-hmm. and I I saw it a few times in theaters because I I just thought it was so neat, and the voice acting is so good as well. Yes. You got Nick Cage. You got John Mulaney. It's 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 a, yeah. a very interesting group of characters. Something about the first one that was really cool is like I feel like the way it set up the universe was in a way that allows them to really go anywhere with the sequel yeah. and have it be right. make sense, have it be like believable and like in line with this first one because they just they left it wide open where it's like there's so many directions you can go, there's so many things you can do, so many characters you can introduce. Yeah. And it didn't feel sloppy, yeah. and it didn't feel messy. It just felt like, uh, like very open. Like you don't know what's going to happen next. Right, right. I, I, I mean, for me, this is a must-watch. Yep, mm, it's a must-watch. Agreed. Must-watch. Not much more to say about it. Um, yeah, must-watch. So we're near the end of the show, where I would like to introduce my favorite segment, the thing that inspired this whole podcast, the starter pack segment. The premise being, you have someone come up to you, and they've never seen any Spider-Man movie. Out of this whole list that we've gone out of, they're willing to watch three. They're not willing to spend a lot of hours of their time on a series they might not even like. So what three Spider-Man movies do you tell them to watch? And in what order? We could also uh, discuss that. Dev, do you want to go first since you started making a case for yours earlier a little bit? Yeah. Okay. I mean, possibly controversial, but I think if you're only going to watch three and let's let's see like how many do we have at this point we have like uh eight or so soon to be nine soon yes. to be nine yeah so out of all the movies that are out i would say watch the first of each spider-man 
the first Tobey Maguire, the first Andrew Garfield, and the first Tom Holland. Because I think each one of them each one of them touches on different parts of what makes Spider-Man so great because you get a little bit of everything and I, I would say go from there. It's like if you only want to watch one, it's like I think each one will give you something so different and will reveal something so different about Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, I, I think you need to kind of see all all three of those personally. Yeah, that's a great take because then you can, if you like one in particular, then you can continue on with the next movie. Yeah. Right. And then you can get on Twitter and fight about who's your favorite Spider-Man. It just, it feels like they all need to exist in the context of the other ones. You need to be able to compare and contrast. So my only thing is you left out the other must watch that we had on our list. So you're saying they're not going to watch Into the Spider-Verse. I don't, if you are a Spider-Man fan... I think that that's a must-watch for a Spider-Man fan. If you've okay. never seen Spider-Man before and you're just being introduced to it, it's a great film, but I, I feel like it's a great film, like especially in the context of having seen the same Spider-Man story sort of hashed out over and over and where that goes with it. Because um, that's... I, I mean, it, it's hard because I, I do think that that is a must-watch, but right. I feel like if so you're So for only... your list, would you put them in... in the order they were released chronologically? I think or what so. Would you... I think yeah. so because uh, if you're watching them in modern day, then the one that is set in modern day and feels the most relatable is probably going to be the one that feels the most comfortable anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think watching them in order so you can see the progression. And you want to end on that note. Yeah, I just think it's, I think it's an important progression. Okay. I think it's important okay. to see. I think it tells you a lot about how Spider-Man evolves with time. I think it tells you how mm-hmm. we change how we view heroes, like from the way they're made. It's that's it's a kinda, great point. You can make like a study out of it. Honestly, yeah, so I'm sure someone is. I'm yeah, sure someone's yeah, talking about yeah. Right now. That's there's a lot to that. Uh, Anthony, do you want to go next? Uh, sure. Okay. Okay. So step one, I would say watch the Amazing Spider-Man one. Uh gives you a good introduction like the character and the portrayals in the film and it gives you the uh origin story and uncle ben and and all that stuff so that you you have an understanding of uh how he got to be spider-man then mm-hmm. i would watch spider-man 2 toby mcguire spider-man 2 interesting oh, wow. um, skipping around yeah because huh. yeah i i think uh if you get all the relative information and all the beats from Amazing Spider-Man and the origin story, then you can move to, like, arguably the best Spider-Man film, Spider-Man 2, and just have your mind be blown because it's <laughs> it's a really uh, great, uh, well-done movie. <clears throat> and then, I'm so sorry, Dev, I wouldn't watch any of the MCU movies. I would go straight wow. to Spider-Verse. Wow. Just, Interesting. I think, I, well, in terms of what you were saying before in, in, in making it, um, seeing how Spider-Man changes over time and and mm. uh, bringing it into the modern day, I think Into the Spider-Verse does such a good job of of uh, accomplishing that. And I think uh, it's just a beautiful film. It's a work of art. And it should be required viewing for anyone that, that loves film, that loves animation, and yeah. uh, maybe people who just want to get into to superhero films. So uh, I'm sorry. I, I really no. do. I do love Tom Holland. No, no, no. I love Tom I, you know, it's like I, I think all the different perspectives. That's like, why I have you both on the show. Yeah, this is my starter pack. That's a, I mean, for great reasons there. I love that mine is different as well. Um, 
it is more similar to devs with a dash of Anthony's. Um, I am actually going to start off with Spider-Man Homecoming. I think your point of that's the most comfortable point for the audience is why I kind of want to put that at the beginning. Plus, I think it is it is a good coming-of-age story. And yes, it, it's not the quintessential comic book Peter Parker, but it is a, it is a relatable jumping-off point, which is why my second movie in my starter pack would definitely be the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man mm-hmm. um, to then contrast those two so you can get a sense of, you know, if this is somebody new to any of these movies, they're like, oh, I do get the sense of this is what this Spider-Man gets me. This is what the older Spider-Man gets me. I am unfortunately pulling an Anthony in the sense that I am axing one of the Spider-Men and I am oh, not no. putting Andrew Garfield in mind just because yeah. I think his first movie is the better of the two, but I think it would be a crime to not put Into the Spider-Verse in that third spot, especially because you get the sense of Tom Holland plus Toby. Between those first two options, you get a wide range of who Peter Parker can be, but then with Into the Spider-Verse, you get a wide range of who Spider-Man can be, and I just think mm-hmm. that is my idealized introduction to Spider-Man in film yeah. to someone else. So all three of those, great intention behind them and thought put into it. Uh, so you, the listener, if you are new to Spider-Man and one of these starter packs appeals to you, feel free to let us know how your experience is delving into the web slinger. I hope we didn't make it too difficult for you. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's difficult in general. It, it is. It's, you know, how he exists. Because also, keep in mind, it's like we're talking about your starter pack into the films. But, like, there, there are the comics. And the comics yeah. have multiple storylines. And the TV lines, shows. And, and the... Yeah. There's... And the, there, uh, and video, video games, games. Yeah. Like, there's so, yeah. so much many great Spider-Man to consume yeah. exactly. and all of them are are different in their own ways and and which one you'll like is I mean as we've we've kind yeah. of made clear is definitely up to opinion so. absolutely so I hope that at least somebody who hears this uh gives maybe one of the Spider-Man they've not seen a try and you know what at the end of the day Spider-Man fans are eating very well Yes, yes. yes. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me, the two of you. This has been a delight to spend some time here talking about Spider-Man. Longer than expected and all the more that I have to edit, but also all the more that we have to enjoy. You two were the perfect people to bring on. I think we had a nice, (laughs) there was a cohesion in certain areas, but also we had a great variety of opinions here, and I I loved that. So thank you both for joining me. Of course. (laughs) Great. Yeah, we had a fun time. And with that, All we have left to do is watch the newest release, Spider-Man No Way Home, which hits theaters tomorrow when I'm recording this. I couldn't be more excited for this next movie starring Tom Holland. Based on the hype around it, it sounds like it might have been a good thing that you listened to this podcast reviewing everything Spider-Man in film, because based on the trailers, we won't just be seeing characters from Tom Holland's movies. But my friends, I think that is the topic for a different podcast episode. Thank you so much for coming back to the Fandom Handbook. Once again, I would like to thank Dev Mina, who, as always, I appreciate so much what you bring to the table. And also, newcomer to the show, Anthony and Gargiola, you had so much to offer. Both of you were just so delightful to talk and disagree and advise the listeners with. Truly, I have the best time recording these episodes. Editing, on the other hand, that takes a while, but I still enjoy it. 
So all that being said, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to do the things that you're supposed to do for podcasts you like, such as subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on, or give us a review or rate. I haven't fully thought through the promotional strategy of the podcast, because you know what? At the end of the day, what's most important is that I put the dang thing out there, and that's what I've done. So if you've listened this far, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I'd love to hear from you. If you're a spidey newcomer and you maybe gave something a watch that you wouldn't have after listening, or if you are a Peter Parker professional and you know everything Spider-Man related, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on our takes on these beloved films. You can connect with the show on social media. We are at fandom underscore handbook. That's F-A-N-D-O-M underscore H-A-N-D B-O-O-K. And I'll finish this out by saying, with great podcasts comes a great responsibility to transition out of them well. (laughs) I don't know. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Tony Pinella, and until next time, nerd out.